like, maybe in this, you'd be in the garden, it's like debated on that. But like, honestly, you're not telling. Okay, come on and get this. It's really hard to see. So I don't know who I just, I don't know who I said that to, but all right. So sorry, you're a pastor, but that's good. All right, good. Um, so um, I, my story is I grew up with nightmares and night terrors. I didn't know that was a gift. <laughs> it was actually a gift to, to see things and to hear things. Unfortunately, some of those things made me scared, and so I shut that down for a long time in my life. And it wasn't until I was in my late 20s, early 30s that God flipped the switch, and I found out, oh, that's a gift. And so we wanted to create an atmosphere around our kids that they wouldn't have that, the devil wouldn't start off that switch uh, of hearing God's voice. And so my wife would sing, we'd pray over our kids every night, she'd sing these songs. And she turned it into a CD, because I, I nicknamed it the Dream CD, uh, because both of my kids are dreamers. My wife's a dreamer, um, which is why I travel a lot, because <coughs> I don't get much sleep when I'm at home. <laughs> Honey, I just had a dream. Are you awake? No. You just said no. You must be awake. So anybody wants your wife to dream? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, anybody that has a child having trouble, like nightmares, night terrors, that's like maybe like eight years old, that would be like a shot in the dark here. Eight-year-old? Do you have an eight-year-old? Okay. Six, close enough. All right, good. All right, we'll take it. Just because I can see you, you're in the second row, you're not in the dark. Okay. All right, great. All right, so I'm going to do a little bit, and I we are going to abbreviate the, the – I have a good message for you, but I really feel like, man, the message is in the music too. So uh, I really feel like God wants us to kind of – this is the end of the conference kind of. Even if you weren't here, you get everything in one day. That's the thing that Jesus says. He saves the best for now, the best wine. So it's all here today. Um, we are going to take a look at a message, a, a, a passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 12 and 13. As you're turning there, um, if you aren't sure that God speaks, I want to talk to you just for a, a moment because one of the passions of my life is to help people understand that God speaks. It's kind of my job. And, and I go around, I travel, I get to fly places, and sometimes I get to sit you know, in the front because I fly so much so they feel bad for me. Like, oh, you need a better seat. You fly too much. And so I sit up front, and, and up front sometimes people want to know, why are you here? You're not dressed like a person that should be sitting in the front. And and so they'll ask you, like, what do you do for a living? And I decide if I want to have a long conversation with them or a short conversation with them. And if I want to have a short conversation, I'll say I'm a minister. And they'll be like, okay. And then they put the noise-canceling headphones on, and I have a really quiet fight. If I want to have a longer conversation, then I'll say something like this. And I did this not that long ago. I said, I'm a public speaker. And the guy goes, well, what do you speak about? And I said, spirituality. Said, what kind of spirituality? Well, I believe that God is personal and he speaks to me and I can speak back to him and I can speak for him to other people. And I, it was an awkward moment. And he goes, well, that sounds crazy. And I said, well, <clears throat> can I ask you a question? He's like, sure. I said, have you ever prayed? He said, oh, yeah, everybody's prayed. I said, so you talk to a God you don't believe exists and you don't think talks back to you. Who's more crazy, me or you? <laughs> Seriously. So call me crazy, but I think God still speaks, all right? Now, if you feel like you've never heard God speak to you, I, I want to give you this book. It's called The Roar. It's how I, I went back to Genesis from the beginning, how God spoke from the beginning, and how he created this beautiful relationship in which he could talk to us. And he came in in Genesis 3 when man sinned with something called the sound of the Lord in the cool of the day. And that word cool means spirit or ruah. It means that there was an atmosphere of, of the day that was created by sin. And when God came in with his roar, his sound, it actually restored man back to God. 
And so when God speaks to you, it's not to tell you what you've done wrong. It's to reveal to you who you are. He, Adam, where are you? I want to show you who you really are. Um, so who would say, like, yeah, I've, I've never heard God speak, but I'm willing to take a risk, and, and I'm willing to be, like, a little crazy in this. I'd love to give you this book and a study guide that goes with it. Anybody? That was a terrible pitch, but uh, all the way in the back. I needed someone in the back. Okay, that's perfect, buddy. Because honestly, um, I believe that when you learn to hear God speak, it will change your life. Amen? So that's, that's my book back there called The Roar. Bless you guys. All right, that's enough. Advertisers. I, I have a, a message called Go Church. All right. So turn to someone and say, Go. But, but not yet. Just not yet. Just not yet. All right. Go Church. This, this conference you've been having is called Engage. Is that correct? I love that word, by the way. Engage. Um, and I know it has a lot of connotations. In, in, engage with God. You guys probably unwrapped that. But I want to I actually talk with you a little bit about Jesus' process of transition because I think we are in. And certainly in my lifetime, in our lifetime, the, the greatest disruption that culture and the church has ever seen. And, and I think possibly maybe the greatest disruption the church has ever seen since the early church. I would liken it to what happened in 70 A.D. when the church of Jerusalem was, was shaken so bad that it was sp- spread around the world. I think it's that kind of disruption. I think it's going to redefine church. It's going to redefine Christianity, especially in the Western world. It's going to redefine um, what we think about God in many cases, and I think it's a good thing because what happens is sometimes we have to deconstruct things before we can reconstruct things. So, yes, God is doing a new thing. Did you hear that today? God's doing a new thing. And that word new in Isaiah 42 and 43, which was read, is actually the word renewed. Renewed, rebuilt, restored, which means God is going back to the old thing and renewing it. God is going back to the broke thing and restoring it. God is going back to the lost thing and refinding it. He's doing that, right? And so in Matthew chapter 12, we see a great disruption take place. In verse 46, and then we're going to go right into Matthew 13, verses 1 and 2, because Matthew's writing a whole story here, and he doesn't have chapter breaks. And so we're not going to have chapter breaks. So while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. That same day, Jesus went out of the house. Everybody say that same day. I like that. I like that. That's it. I like when stuff happens fast. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all people stood on the shore, and he told them many things in parables. This was a major disruption, not just in the culture that Jesus lived in, but it was a major disruption in his own ministries, a major change. If you study this, you see that before Matthew chapter 12, uh, before Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus left the house and got into the boat and masses gathered around him and he spoke in parables, this was the first time anyone ever had ever used a boat for ministry. It was the first time that massive crowds had gathered around a lake to hear a sermon, and it was the first time that Jesus didn't preach from the scrolls. He actually told stories and brought the message of the kingdom. And this was a radical shift, not just for Jesus, but for the culture. And what happened was, before Matthew 13, Jesus was teaching primarily in the synagogues and in houses. And in the synagogues, 
the spiritual skeptics would sit there, fold their arms, and say, who do you think you are? You're the son of Joseph. We know who you are. And in the houses, you had people who were more like spiritual spectators. They would sit on the edge of their seat, wait for another miracle. And Jesus would go to these places, and the same thing would happen. They would either question him or they were curious about him. But this, this shift in Jesus' ministry took him away from that. And they still, he still observed the Judaism traditions, but primarily he did not preach in synagogues anymore, and he didn't preach in small houses. He preached in mass. He fed 5,000. He had people sit on a mountain for days, and he taught them the Beatitudes. He, he had the Olivet Discourse. There were so many things that changed in Jesus' ministry, and it's because of what happened here. And I want to tell you, I believe this church, but I believe the church in general is it is it this kind of a space where we're about to shift from just meeting as spiritual skeptics or spiritual spectators wanting to try to believe what God is doing or prove to me God is real or come on God do another trick and I'm good with God doing supernatural stuff I like it but I believe that the church has been called to go that that um, idea came to me a few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, probably over 10 years ago. I had a dream which led me to this passage, and in the dream, I walked into a restaurant. Like many of us have had to do during this time, I asked for my order to go. <laughs> Thank God for to-go food, right? Thank God for Uber. Thank God for Grubhub. Thank God for all that stuff, right? And so <clears throat> I asked for my order to go. And the lady at the cash register said, you need to go wait over there. She pointed over to a small pub table, a lot like this one. There was a father and son sitting there. And I sat down next to the son. And the son looked at me, and he said, you need to understand Matthew 13. It's about the kingdom. And I woke up, and I tried to think, what did I have to eat last night? <laughs> the first thing I thought, like, what in the world did I? And, and then I started to try to understand this dream, and... What I understood was I was looking for my order to go. But before I could go, there was something I needed to learn. I had needed to wait and learn something. And what I needed to do was sit next to sonship. I needed to understand my identity. I had to sit next to the father and the son and learn identity. And the church has been doing that for the last 20 years. We've been identity, identity, identity. It's all been a constant message. It's been very, very good. Um, but when, when the son pointed at me, and I'm not saying it was Jesus, it's just, this is a metaphor for me. Uh, when the son pointed at me, he said, you need to understand Matthew 13. I could tell you I had no idea of any of this stuff. I was like, what? But thank God God was so in my face that I couldn't mess it up. It was sort of like, you're so dumb, I'm going to make it so clear to you. Like Matthew 13, it's about the kingdom. And, and here's what I want to say, guys. Church is great, but the church is about the kingdom, right? Jesus came to demonstrate a kingdom. Jesus came to manifest a kingdom. Jesus came to make you part of a kingdom. He didn't just call you to come and be. He called you to come and be changed so that you can go. And so the things that happened for Jesus, I think he wants to do for you. And before I could even get into Matthew 13, I had to understand what the son had to do. And I want to walk you through that, that pub table experience today. There's a couple things I want to share with you. And the first thing is, is that we see that Jesus' mother and brother, they show up there, and they stand outside of the house where he is. 
context is very important, all of this. Matthew is a great writer, and he doesn't leave any detail out. He, he has a very great understanding. He's writing primarily to a Jewish audience, which is very important to understand right here. Because when he says, your mother and your brothers are outside wanting to speak to you, something, it's very important. Because the mother and the brothers don't come inside. They send someone inside, an announcer, to say to them, hey, your mother and your brothers are outside, and they want to speak to you. And Jesus' response is incredible because it seems disrespectful, but it's not at all because we know his character. And we know he had a great relationship with his mom. She was the last one at the cross, right? She was Mary who, who carried him. She was Mary who the angel visited. She was Mary who took the risk of being pregnant outside of marriage, which was a, a capital offense in her day. So this is a lady who paid the price. And Jesus doesn't respond to the announcer, he, or to the words of the, of the announcer. He responds in a different way. He says, Who's my mother? Who's my brothers? These are my mother. Those who do the will of my father are my mother, my sister, my brother. Now, before I kind of tell you what I think that means, what's curious to me is what Matthew writes, what Jesus' words were. Who's my mother? These are my mother. Now, why would he, I could understand him saying, well, this is my brothers. These are my brothers and sisters. This is my new family. He said, no, these are my mother. And what you have to understand is in, in this day that there's a metaphor here that the system of Judaism was their mother. Like there was, there, Mary here is representing the system that they were coming out. And Jesus was saying to his disciples, hey, there's a new thing that I'm about to birth in the earth. And in order for you to be part of it, there's a thing that birthed you that you have to be disconnected from. Because sometimes you have to leave the thing that birthed you in order to discover what you were born for. See, before you can go, but going to something also requires going from something. And here's what I want to tell you, and I'm not talking about specifically Judaism itself. I'm saying that there are voices that have birthed you that you have to leave in order to discover the voice of your Father that's in heaven. There are voices that we need to allow. Let me just give you an example. I'm going to tell you about my friend Barbara. Barbara visited on a Wednesday night in Connecticut, a Bible study that I was doing about the gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit, particularly how God speaks. And Barbara came to me at the end of the meeting, and I had never met her before. She said, I've never felt the Spirit I felt in this place before. Would you come and bring this Spirit to my church? And I said, I'd love to. This was probably in the early 2000s, and I, my schedule was booked about three months in advance, and so I introduced her to my wife, who was booking our schedule at the time, and my wife scheduled it, and it wasn't until a week later I looked at the paper where she wrote it down, and it was a very different name for a church, and so I looked it up, and I found out that this was a interfaith um, universalist church, which we, we, we would call it a New Age church in some languages, right? And so they believed everything was God, and, and God is in everything, and, and, and those kinds of things, and I thought, wow, I've never spoken to one of these churches before. In fact, I kind of prayed. I'm like, Jesus, am I supposed to go to this? And, and I felt like Jesus doesn't always talk back to me quickly, but this time he did. He said, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going. <laughs> so I couldn't let Jesus go alone. And so we scheduled it. I won't go into the whole story, but um, I told him about the Holy Spirit, and I told him about Jesus, and I believe he was the unique son of God. He wasn't just part of God, but he was the unique son of God, and he died went back to the Father alive, and, and because of that, 
that we can live the life that he lived. And we, he took our punishment, all those sorts of things. And I told it in language they could understand. And, and then I said, hey, I'm going to pray because Jesus was also a prophet. And he was a healer. And I uh, had one um, word of knowledge. It's, it was an idea of someone that needed healing. And I, and I called it out. And I said, there's someone here. You have lo- lower nerve damage in your lower back. And you can't even walk without help. And Jesus is here to heal you. And the lady on the second row says, that's me. And, and a couple of people help her stand up. And I pray for her. And Jesus heals her of her back damage. I mean, she's like totally healed. And what's astounding about this is the leaders come up to me afterwards. And Barbara's one of them. And they say, um, you know, two weeks ago we brought in a healer that uses crystals. And specifically to pray for this lady's healing. And she wasn't healed. And then last week, we specifically brought in an energy healer, third-degree Reiki healer, and specifically for this lady, she wasn't healed. And we just brought you here because Barbara asked you to come, and you pray in Jesus' name, and she's healed. <laughs> I'm like, awesome, right? <clears throat> so it's cool. Like, like I'm, I'm glad people want to heal other people. But, you know, <clears throat> I would rather heal people with the one who created the crystals and energy yeah, than, than with crystals and energy. I'm just saying, like, why not go for the creator? Go, go right straight to the source, right? And so, <clears throat> and so Barbara said to me, you know, I love the fact that you brought this power, but I am not on the pa- same page with you about who Jesus is. And in my mind, you know, I grew up in church, so I have all these pa- Bible passages in my mind. And the one that came to my mind was, unless you believe, you can't be born again. She said, I don't believe Jesus is the son of God. And I was going to say it. Instead, a, a story came to my mind, and I said to Barbara, I said, you know, Jesus had these disciples that followed him for like three years. Halfway into that, about a year and a half, after they saw him do miracles and raise the dead, he asked them who he, they thought he was, and they were stumped. They were like, I don't know, some people say you're Elijah, John the Baptist, and Jesus is, now, he didn't say anything, but I think he's thinking like, you're crazy, you know. Getting colder, right? And then one of the, one of the, this is cool. One of the guys speaks up, Peter, and he goes, I know, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and you would think that Jesus would have given him like a high five or a chest bump. Like, yeah, you did it, Peter. You know, it, he said something like this. I think in the original language it says, Peter, you're too dumb to have figured that out on your own. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. It says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven revealed this to you. I said to Barbara, I didn't tell Barbara all those jokes. I just said, Barbara, look, these guys followed Jesus and they didn't know who he was. If you keep following Jesus because he's a, a healer, a prophet, the day's going to come where the Father's going to speak to you. The light bulb's going to go on. You're going to know who Jesus really is. That, when that day comes, give me a call. Is that fair? She's like, that's fair. I can live with it. Two months later, Barbara calls me. She goes, the light bulb went on. Jesus is my Savior. I'm like, yes. So... <clears throat> So, so what, what does that mean? It means that there's some voices that have been in our life. There's some systems in our life. There's some beliefs that are in our life that we have to leave in order to discover who Jesus really is. But when we discover who Jesus is, we discover who we are. We just don't discover who he is because true identity comes in discovering who our creator is. And when we discover who Jesus is, we step into something called purpose, life, destiny. We use those kind of words. Jesus uses the word the will of the Father. Here's what he says, who is my mother? What, what is God birthing in the earth? Who are my brothers and my sisters, my family? They're the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. I love that because he didn't have to disrespect where he came from. You don't have to dishonor your father and your mother 
in order for you to go to your future. In fact, the Bible says when you honor your father and your mother, even if they weren't perfect, when you honor them, all will go well with you. So there's something to that. And so Jesus does it. And we know, in fact, even though Jesus' mother and his brothers didn't recognize him, eventually Mary was the last woman, the last person at the cross, and his brother James was, became the head of the church, which tells us sometimes we have to step away from where people identify us in the past so that they can see us in our next season. And sometimes the people that are closest to us want to limit us because they only see us in certain roles. But once we step away into who we really are, they're like, oh, I didn't know that guy could really. I mean, I thought he was just like, you know, a young, a young adult pastor. Wow, he's a pastor, right? He's called to lead a community. And that's a good thing because whenever you, and it's hard for the parent. I have a daughter who's kind of like, dad, I'm planning to move out someday. And I'm like, I'll bribe you with a new car if you stay. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want her to leave. But I also know that my daughter, Abby, my second daughter, and she's, <laughs> she's the second one and the last one. So it's like, I'm going to hold on to her. But you're going gonna to pry me, you for my cold, dead hands, honey. You know? Because this was my daughter, Abby. Her name is the Father's Delight. That's what Abigail means, the Father's Delight. I named her that because I knew I, this is my last one, and I'm going to keep her forever, right? <laughs> and this is, this is something that we have to understand, that when we discover the will of our Father, what does Jesus say? The ones who do the will of my Father. Say, just put your hand on your heart and say, I want to do God's will. You know, when you say that, we can sometimes feel pressure. Like, oh, oh, I just want to do God's will. I don't want to mess this up. Uh, but this is a really special word because will can mean choice. There is a word that means choice. This isn't that word. But sometimes we think will is like, I don't want to choose the wrong thing. I don't want to choose sin. I don't want to do that. And this, is, this isn't that word. Will can be a choice. But actually, there's another word. Will, this word will, it's the lemma. It means the thing that makes your heart dance. <laughs> the thing that makes you happy. It's actually an emotional word about will. So it's like will can be a choice, but will can be a celebration. Right? So I could choose something that it's because it's the right thing to do, or I could choose something because it's really awesome to do. Like I could choose like, you know, an ice cream because it's healthy for me, or I could choose it because I like it. You know what I'm saying? Like why, if you're going to have ice cream, just get the whole deal. Like get the, you know, the brownies and the pretzels. Like, like why... What is the purpose of vanilla ice cream? Can someone tell me that? Okay, that's really what I was getting at. It's like, uh, I really will to have some ice cream. I think I'll have vanilla ice cream. That's like obedience, right? <laughs> but, but, but what a celebration is, man, just slop it all on and then put some chocolate sauce on it and then sprinkle whatever colors of sugar and everything. It's all good, right? Anybody hungry for some ice cream right now? It's good. All right. Here's what he says. God has a will for your life. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has a will for your life. But, this, but remember what this word means. Wait, wait. Remember what this word means. It is a choice that, that, that makes your heart sing. That means that God has something for your life that when he thinks about it, he gets so excited he wants to sing. He gets so excited he wants to dance. He goes, because his will makes not just you happy, it makes him happy. Like he's excited 
about the plan that he has for your life. He's not just like, do my will or die. He's like, when you do my will, you're going to really live. Like, when you find out what my will is, you're going to want to dance like the pastor's daughter dances in the front, right? I'm saying. So, so Jesus is saying that. Jesus is like, those who discover what, what makes God's heart sing will be part of God's family. And when you do what makes God's heart sing, your heart will sing too. <laughs> that makes my heart want to sing, and I don't even know if my heart can sing. All I'm saying is like, that makes my heart want to rap. My heart can't rap. I'm just like, but do you, see, do you think, like these are guys are doing the will of God. Does that look like work to you? Does that look like work? Like, that's not work. I'm like, dude, that is like so fun. I want to do that, and I can't do that, you know. But I'm having fun at doing what I'm doing because this is what makes God's heart sing for me. This is what makes my heart sing with God. And when you discover that, it's not work. It doesn't matter. You do it for free, right? That's what, that's what the will of God is. It's what you would do for free, and it makes your heart sing, and it makes God's heart sing. You know, I discovered this with my daughter, Abby. My daughter, Abby, because she was named the Father's Delight, you know, she always had that special place. And I had, I'd given her, we had bought her this nightgown when she was very little, and it said, I'm Daddy's Little Princess. She'd dance around from three years old. She'd dance around, I'm daddy's little princess. I'm daddy's little princess. And she wore that thing like eight years old. That thing was like stretching out. I'm daddy's little princess. <laughs> right? <laughs> she was about eight. And um, she had trouble with vision, so she had to get glasses. And this was back before glasses were really cool. People wear glasses that don't need them now. You know, not like when I was a kid where you'd get punched if you had glasses. And your dad would put duct tape on them and fix them. And then you get punched again. So she got these cool purple glasses, and um, I, would, I would have this thing when I would put her to bed at night. Sometimes I would say, when, I would, when it was my night to put her to bed, um, I would say, Abby, your daddy's a little princess. And it was just a thing between us. And one night I was putting her to bed, and I said, Abby, your daddy's a little princess. And she said, uh, Daddy, I can't be a princess. And I said, why do you say that? She said, well, because princesses don't wear glasses. I'm like, who told you that? She said, a boy in my class at school. I'm like, oh, what's his name? <laughs> this, you know. So I want to give him a little five-fold ministry, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so I said, oh, that's not true, Abby. And he, he, you know, she, he, she had been bullied about her glasses, and she was feeling like she couldn't be a princess and wear glasses. So what did I do? I prayed with her, and then I went. To Google, and I Googled princess with glasses and looked to hit images, and I found these pictures of Disney princesses. None of them had glasses, so I took it into Photoshop. I put glasses on there, <laughs> purple ones, and I put underneath that Princess Abby, princess with glasses. Printed that out, put it on the table so you would see it first thing whenever she went to school. And I'll tell you, that girl came into my room that morning, Daddy. Princesses do wear glasses. Princesses do wear glasses. And she began to dance, right? What, what is that? It's finding the will of your father. Finding what your father says about you. When you do, the voices in the past can stay in the past. And here's what I want to say to you. Jesus didn't respond to those voices. Because they wanted to bring him back home. They wanted him to come back, run the family business, run the family house. He's the oldest son. And Jesus is like, eh, that was my old season. This is my new season. And he didn't respond to them. He didn't respond to the voices, and there's some voices you need to let outside. There's some voices you just need to be like, you're outside. So I don't need to respond. Like, I love you, but you're outside. 
<laughs> you're outside the will of the Father. You're outside what the Father says about me. You're outside what makes my heart sing. You're outside. That doesn't mean I'm rejecting people because I'm not an orphan. I don't reject people. What I do is I'm a son so I can accept what God says about me, and those voices can impact me. Are you with me? All right. Here's, here's the third thing I want to talk to you about, and that's this, and, and that is that whenever we um, make a choice, whenever we come to this place where we just decide we're going to follow the voice of the Father, we discover purpose. We discover what true purpose is. So Jesus is connecting parenting with purpose. I believe that there are many times we get stuck in, la- in pa- past seasons because of how we've been defined by others. And, and Jesus really was being, had the choice, um, am I going to be defined by my mother's disappointment? Because his mother had lost her husband and she needed an older son to come home, head of the household, head of the business. And she was disappointed. But Jesus wouldn't let his next season be defined by someone else's disappointment. That's very important. The second thing is, is Jesus was willing to do the will of the Father, you know, regardless of what it cost him. You remember the last conversation Jesus had with his heavenly Father? It was about his will. Remember, he was in the garden, and he had to go to the cross. And on the cross, he was going to not just die, he was going to become sin. He actually was going to take who we were, sin, he was going to take it on himself, and he was going to exchange who he was, righteous, and give that to us. That was the battle. It wasn't, can I wear a crown of thorns? Can I be beaten? Can I be mocked? It was, can I go through my father seeing me become the thing that separated humanity from him? And Jesus had a choice to make, and it was his choice. It was his choice, and he he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. That tells me that it wasn't Jesus' will. He was actually going like, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, I'm going to do the will of my Father in heaven. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You know, when you're faced with a tough choice, you can either try to make a, you know, grit choice, or you can say, God, I want to exchange my choice for what you celebrate. I'm going to give you my will. That's what Jesus was doing. He said, not my will. Here's my will. Now give me your will. What's your will? Well, it's a strange scripture, but it says that it pleased the Father to bruise the Son. And it's not because God's some kind of, you know, weird, sadistic um, God. He's not. It's that he knew that whenever he himself became flesh, when God became flesh, that it would allow him to take on all of the sin of humanity on himself, and then that humanity could become righteous because of that. And it it was a choice that he made because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Because God so loved the world, he chose to say, not my will, but your will be done. And this is the choice that we all have to make. This is the choice that we all have to make. We can sit in 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 a church and be skeptical and say, I don't know, I don't even know if God is real. Or we could even celebrate in a church and want to just see God do something. Or we can discover the will of the Father. We can actually find the boat that God wants us to get into in the culture. We could find the people that God, the masses God wants us to reach in the culture. 
we can find the message, the parables that God wants to, us to bring in the culture because it's not just the preachers that are called to bring the message of the kingdom and the method of the kingdom and, and the masses to the kingdom. No, it's every single one of us that is called because your boat might be to be a chiropractor. But when you're a chiropractor, you can share the message of the kingdom. Your boat might be to be a homeschool moms group and you get to share the message of the kingdom. I'm just saying is when you, dis when you can leave the voices of the past and discover what makes the Father's heart sing for you, God will lead you to the place where you can impact the culture and engage the culture around you. And that's what you're created for. And so here's what I want to do as we close the service. And the worship team is going to come up and just jam and have fun. And we're going to celebrate. I think they're going to sing what makes God heart, God's heart sing. I think they're going to lead us into the will of the Father. But first, before they do that, if you're here or if you're online, if you're listening, if you're listening to this on a recording, I want to invite you into the will of the Father. I want to invite you into what makes the heart sing. I want to invite you to understand that Jesus gave up his will and took the Father's will. And the Father's will was that you would be cleansed from every sin. The Bible says the only way you can do that, and, and Barbara discovered this when she called me. She said, Bob, the light bulb went on. I believe he's my Savior. She said, what do I need to do next? And you know, the Bible says when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you exchange who you are for who he is, and you become a new creation. All the old things are passed away, and everything's become new. You believe Jesus is the Son of God. You believe he died for you. You believe he rose again, and you say it with your mouth. And now I grew up in church, and I grew up in church that we sort of had to pray something called the sinner's prayer, which I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a minute. But I didn't lead Barbara in a prayer because she said it out of her mouth. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. What do I do next? I'm like, nothing. You just did it. You just did it. Here's what I want to say to you. It's that easy. Because Jesus has already done the work. He gave up his will and took the Father's will. And now all you need to do is agree with what the Father says about you. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. And he wants you to step into a place in your life where you discover what you were born for. And that's the thing that makes his heart sing. Would you stand with me to your feet today? And if you are here or listening online and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to say today is the greatest day. That same day, Jesus made a decision. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation, which means today when you make the decision, everything changes. The old is gone. The new has come. Every sin is forgiven. Every opportunity for you to be everything that God created you to be is now inside of you. Just bow your head and close your eyes with me. And if you're here and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus or I want to give my life back to Jesus, I want you just to slip a hand up for me so I know that you're going to pray this prayer with me. I'm not going to call you up front here. We're not going to do anything, rub any oil on you or anything. I'm just going to say, pray a prayer. So if that's you, I just want to know. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And online, if you're there, we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And I want you to know that when you pray this, I want you to have a confidence that you believe what you're praying. Jesus is the Son of God. He died for you, and he rose again. He went back to the Father alive so that you could take who he was, the righteousness of God. All the old things would be made new, the dead things alive. We're going to pray that together. It's about five people that raise your hand. I would encourage you, if you pray this prayer, to come and talk to one of the leaders here. And if you didn't raise your hand, you can still pray this prayer. You're not out, because it's not in the Bible that you have to raise your hand. We're going to just confess with our mouth, and I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray it with me. 
even if you've prayed it before. Okay, let's go. Dear Jesus, come on, use your outside voices. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my life. Make all the old things new. All the dead things alive. Make me the person you created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God thanks for those people that prayed this for the first time. Just before we, we worship, I, I want to say a few things as you're standing there. I felt like, man, God's heart sings about this church. It really does. And do you know one of the, the things that God is in the beginning? It, he was creator. He's the creator called the creator of heavens and earth. In the beginning, God created. It's the first thing he did. It's the first way he expressed himself. And I felt like this is going to be a major thing for this church. Kurt, I believe you guys are called to be a creative community. I feel like the Lord is going to give you incredibly creative musicians, artists, writers, songwriters. This is going to be a creative community. Uh, and, and you're going to draw in some people that are on the fringes of society because they think outside the box of the rest of society. Those are the creatives. You're going to know them because they might be dressed a little different. They might be tatted up a little bit different. Their hair might be multiple colors. I'm just saying, like, God wants to give you the ones that nobody wants because when you when he steward the ones that nobody wants, he will send the ones that everybody's going after. And I'm just saying, Jesus has called you guys to be a creative community, and I feel like it's going to confront darkness in this area. And I and I'm going to get a little spooky here just for a minute, but I'm I am. He told me I can be weird because I'm normal. So, <laughs> but ever since I've come here, I felt like, and I talked about my friend Barbara, and 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 some people would say, you know. She was into some dark stuff. But I want to tell you, there are people who are seeking truth who have stumbled into places of darkness. And if you can love them and know that, look, somebody's trying to heal someone with the crystals, it, it's because they're looking for healing, the true healing, and you have it. And so, first of all, one of the things I want to do is I want to say that those voices on the outside that have tried to limit you, and they may be even words of curses Witchcraft curses are broken off of you because you're doing what makes God's heart sing, right? So, and I do believe that there are communities and things in this area, and I can feel it, that have assignments against the church. But guess what? What they don't know is the church has an assignment for them, all right? And your assignment is to do what it says in Proverbs, that when your ways are pleasing to the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. So I want to say to you, you're going to win witches to the Lord, okay? Sorry, I had to say, like, you're going to win people. People, maybe people even that cursed this church in the past are going to come here and discover what makes God's heart sing about their life, okay? You're going to see it, and, and it, and it means you're going to confront darkness in some places. Don't be afraid when power encounters start to happen. Here's the second thing, and I really feel this is, this, this is really important for you guys to understand and have context for. There is an atmosphere of freedom, and I think it was released in this conference, but it was already here, but that you're going to be able to steward in this next season, and I feel like it, it means you're going to see a lot of people get set free from bondages, addictions, chemical addictions, sexual addictions, emotional addictions, and trauma. And so 
It's in the Bible, so don't be freaked out when, you know, demons are cast out and people get set free. Because that's going to happen, and there's families that are going to be saved, and marriage is going to be saved. But I want to tell, tell you this, that if you embrace freedom, and, and, I, and I feel like this is something for this church. I, I feel like there is um, some ministries that are going to be birthed for people with addictions, uh, people that have even been through um, domestic violence situations, uh, people that are even in prison. And I feel like when you proclaim freedom to the captives, you're not just proclaiming it to the person, you're proclaiming it to your region, right? And, and I feel like the Lord is literally going to, guys, give you like a campus on a prison. Like you're going satellite, to have a satellite campus where your, your, your church will be beamed into a prison because it's going to be a sign that God has called you to the church that will bring freedom to people. Are you okay with me? Okay. Okay, I'm going to get a little bit weirder then since you're okay. Just one more, one more. Then I'm done. Then I'm done. Okay, good. I know it's good because I'm saying it. That's good. You guys, you guys, I just want to be very sensitive to culture here. But um, the third thing is I really feel like um, Jesus was really good at this, that he saw the value in um, cultures and people groups that others didn't see. And I feel like particularly in this place, and I want to speak to you guys, you guys have um, created a great way that you work together. But I feel like the Lord is saying you've created a great space for the, the women to be raised up that I want to raise up. And I feel like this is going to be a house where women are going to be raised up with, they're going to have strong revelatory gifts and strong teaching gifts. And, but they're going to come alongside the way Adam and Eve were meant to come alongside, right? Right, she, took, she was taken from the rib. She didn't get breathed. God breathed into Adam and Eve at the same time, so women don't have a second breath of God, don't have a second wind of God, don't have a, they got the spirit at the same time, and she came out of the side. I really feel like you're going to see a real grace on the development of young women, particularly, and women in leadership. And watch the way your young, um, powerful young ladies pre. Something is happening in the pre-teen age group in this church. That is revival not waiting to happen. It is happening. And something is happening. I'm telling you, something is happening in the, in the pre-teen group. In the pre-teen group. And I see God pouring out His Spirit on like the tweenagers. You know, the, the, ten, the 9, the 10, the 11, the 12, right before they turn. And, and there's a Spirit being poured out. You're going to see the gifts of the Spirit poured out to them. You're going to see powerful worship break out in them. Powerful creativity. And they're actually going to be a catalyst for the church. And I feel like something's happening in that age group that actually is going to impact the schools. I don't know what you guys have done in, in that, but I almost feel like there's some churches that they're like, oh, we're going to hire a youth pastor or first, or we're going to hire this. And I feel like you guys, like, really emphasize this age group. And I feel like you watch what God does with this age group because these are the ones who hold everybody, that holds the family together, right? The moms and, and, and when... You win the teenagers to God, you win the whole family to God. And you're going to start to see whole families come to Christ, all right? You guys receive that? Okay, give a shout to God, say amen, all right? So we say, God, yes, all the promises of God are yes to which we say. All the promises of God are yes to which we say. All the promises of God are yes to which we say. All right, let's do it. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me hang out with you guys. Let's worship God, all right?
Tell her, just tell her, just tell her. 